welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, who in the abundance of your kindness surpass the merits and the desires of those who entreat you, pour out your mercy upon us to pardon what conscience dreads and to give what prayer does not dare to ask. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate. So from the soil the Lord God fashioned all the wild beasts and all the birds of heaven. These he brought to the man, to see what he would call them. Each one was to bear the name the man would give it. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of heaven, and all the wild beasts. But no helpmate suitable for man was found for him. So the Lord God made the man fall into a deep sleep, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and enclosed it in flesh. The Lord God built the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. The man exclaimed, This at last is bone from my bones, and flesh from my flesh. This is to be called woman, for this was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and joins himself to his wife, and they become one body. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. O blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. By the labour of your hands you shall eat. You will be happy and prosper. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the heart of your house. Your children like shoots of the olive around your table. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. Indeed, thus shall be blessed the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, in a happy Jerusalem, all the days of your life. May you see your children's children on Israel peace. May the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have all one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brethren. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Alleluia, alleluia. If we love one another, God will live in us in perfect love. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Pharisees approached Jesus and asked, Is it against the law for a man to divorce his wife? They were testing him. He answered them, What did Moses command you? Moses allowed us, they said, to draw up a writ of dismissal and so to divorce. Then Jesus said to them, It was because you were so unteachable that he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That is why a man must leave father and mother and the two become one body. They are no longer two, therefore, but one body. So then, what God has united, man must not divide. Back in the house, the disciples questioned him again about this, and he said to them, The man who divorces his wife and marries another is guilty of adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she is guilty of adultery too. People were bringing little children to him for him to touch them. The disciples turned them away, but when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me, do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. I tell you solemnly, anyone who does not welcome the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Then he put his arms round them, laid his hands on them, and gave them his blessing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the first reading that we have from the book of Genesis, um, it's very dense uh, with theological meaning. Uh, And it's been the object of much scholarship, especially by the late great uh, Pope John Paul II uh, in his Theology of the Body. So drawing from him, um, I'll just point out a couple of things from the book of Genesis. Firstly, notice that Adam is alone. He experiences this deep and intense solitude. And, you know, Adam has all the animals presented to him and he names them all and it confirms for Adam that he is alone. In all the animals of the world, the man doesn't find his counterpart. He doesn't find his equal, his partner. He doesn't find another person who is like him. So what does God say to this? It's not good that the man should be alone. So God causes Adam to fall asleep and takes a rib from his side and forms Eve. And, you know, we can see this wonderful ecstatic exclamation come from Adam when he awakes. At last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. At last, this is one who's like me. Indeed, taken from me. I've seen all the animals and there's none like me, but now Eve is a person. She's another me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This text from the scripture points to the deep and essential equality that exists between man and woman because both are made of the same flesh and the same bone. Now, God's words here are really thick with meaning. 
It's not good that the man should be alone. Why? Well, although we believe in one God, God is not alone. God is a community of persons. He's an eternal exchange of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's one of the most foundational doctrines of Christianity that the one God is at the same time three persons. God is love, says St. John. And so the book of Genesis tells us that human beings are made in the image and likeness of God, and it's for this reason that we get this telling phrase from him, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good that man should be alone because God is not alone. God is a communion of persons. This is his way of being. This is the way that God exists. And so, seeing Adam in his solitude, God says it's not good. Now, upon seeing Eve, Adam recognises the very meaning of his own existence. Indeed, he's not created to be alone at all. He's created for communion. Just as God is a communion of persons, so too humanity is called to be a communion of persons. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, we hear, and joins himself to his wife, and they become one body. This intimate union between husband and wife, this communion between husband and wife, is now a sign of the communion of the Trinity between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Just as God is love, so too we can see that the human person is called to love in this communion of persons. In their very love and bond of communion, husband and wife become an image of God himself. A communion that's fruitful and open to new life. Just as the Holy Spirit proceeds forth from the love of the Father and the Son, so too, from the one flesh union of husband and wife, new life can proceed too. The human family becomes an image of God himself as a trinity of persons. And all this stems from the marriage of man and woman. Marriage isn't just a human creation, a social arrangement, established by consensus so that, you know, we can find some structure in society. No. Marriage is created by God. And it's stamped into who we are as human beings. Not only is it created by God, but it's an image of God himself in his fruitful love. And so marriage isn't something that just simply belongs to the secular sphere, but it's something that is deeply theological. Now, what it means for us practically is that God is interested in marriage. Marriage is so important because, it, yeah, sure, it's the basic social cell of our society. Marriage is the seedbed from which we receive future generations. Marriage also matters politically, socially, culturally. It's a fundamental reality to the secular sphere. But ultimately, marriage was created by God for his purposes. And so when Jesus is asked this question by the Pharisees about divorce, Christ begins his response by acknowledging that, yeah, there was a tradition of husbands putting aside their wives because Moses allowed it. 
But then Jesus steps further back into the tradition of Genesis. In the beginning, it wasn't so. Moses' society shaped and shifted marriage to include divorce, but in the beginning, it was not so. Jesus points back to Genesis, to this text we've been looking at for the last few minutes. The two shall become one body. But then Jesus adds this famous line, and you know that's now picked up in the Catholic wedding ceremony. So then, he says, what God has united, man must not divide. God has created marriage. He has created it to be an image of the very life of the Trinity, as the Father and the Son are in a fruitful exchange of love from which proceeds the Holy Spirit. So too, husband and wife are bound together in a fruitful exchange of love that is open to receiving new life. God's interested in marriage. He created marriage. And it's a reflection of his very self because God is love. So what Jesus is showing the Pharisees is that God's not neutral before the questions concerning marriage. No, marriage is created by God in order to accomplish his plan. God is the one who joins a baptized man and a baptized woman in holy matrimony. And so what God has joined, man must not divide. So God's not simply interested in marriage as a broad and social theological concept. No, he's interested in marriages. And it's for this reason that the church speaks about marriage as a vocation. God is the one who calls men and women to marriage. God's the one who is calling and joining spouses in marriage. God is there with his help. And he gives grace to the couple to live out the sacrament of marriage. God's there working with the couple in creation of new life. All the time, God is there at the very heart of marriage because marriage points to him as the original communion of persons, as the eternal exchange of fruitful love. At its heart, marriage is a calling. It's one of the ways in which God calls people to holiness and to participation in his divine plan. In a sense, it's all good and well to say that marriage is a divine institution and that it's an image of the Trinity, because it then becomes easy to gloss over the great difficulties and complexities that can arise within marriage. It can seem an idealised version of the marital bond to say that it's an image of the eternal exchange of love between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, right? But it's important to remember that the context in which this discourse of Jesus arises it, it comes from the question which the Pharisees pose concerning divorce. Jesus isn't under any illusions as to the difficulties that arise in marriage. But I think what we can glean from the Gospels is not only a negative statement that, you know, man must not divide what God has joined, but also an implicit promise, a pledge from God himself that he will support and sustain what he has joined. Marriage is a sacrament, and it lasts through the lifetime of both spouses. And so marriage is like an open well of grace. 
If a spousal bond is going to be an image of God's love, if it's going to be a sign of God's own faithfulness, then it's clear that grace will sustain and support a marriage so that it can always be more closely an image of God. In the sacrament of marriage, couples have a deep well of grace from which they can draw during difficult times. And when those difficult times inevitably come, couples can pull it from the sacrament. I think it's easy to confuse marriage with the wedding ceremony. To imagine that, you know, once the ceremony's over, the sacrament's over. No. You see, by analogy, like when I was ordained a priest on the 16th of July in 2011, the ceremony lasted for two hours or so. But I've remained a priest since then. And every act I've done as a priest has drawn from the grace of the sacrament that began in 2011. It's the same with marriage. Couples begin their married lives together in the ceremony, but every act they do as husband and wife is sustained by the grace that comes from the sacrament of marriage. Now, here's the thing. Jesus certainly sets a high bar when he says, what God has joined, let no man divide. But he also supplies the help and grace that's needed so that all this imaging of the Trinity isn't just pie-in-the-sky theology, but might actually take flesh in Christian marriages. And if it sometimes feels like the tank is empty in marriage, then it's important to draw upon the wellspring of grace that gushes forth from you, from, from the promise that God made to you when he gave you the sacrament. Because it's the assurance of God's help that what God has joined, he will help to remain joined. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.